Action Church, you doing well? Everybody doing okay? Come on, Ten Commandments, week two. If you're new here, we're all gonna be okay. You're like, man, I came to a church and they're talking about the Ten Commandments. We are walking through each one, actually two per week. And these first two weeks, uh, they kind of go together. We're talking about the authority of God and God's place in our life and trusting in God. The next three weeks are kind of going to be a, a two-for-one special, if you will. Come on, it's like a blue plate special, little buffet. You can get a little bit of this and a little bit of that, a little bit of cheating and lying and stealing and coveting. We're just, that may not be as easy to, to go together. And uh, some of you are like, I'm skipping the next three weeks. I just made a decision right now. We will see you in October. Ten Commandments. I want to put this filter from the New Testament from 1 John chapter 2. Really our theme verse for our time together over these five weeks, as we know, we come to know him if we keep his commands. Uh, we talked very clearly last week, I need to remind you that we're not a, a, a religion that we do things to get to God. We actually rest in the fact of all that God did for us through his son, Jesus Christ. But what it's saying here is that we will know, like we will have an assurance and, and people will know that we are in him if we keep his commands, that it, it starts with a relationship with Jesus, but there should be a change in our life in which we begin to live according to God's standard. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. These, these 10 commandments, I wanna remind you from last week, these 10 commandments, they are the beginning of God's law, and these 10 commandments are not restrictive, but rather protective. That God's ways are higher than our ways, and God's laws are, are better than our laws. And we had some fun last week, I wanna have some fun again this week. I found four or five more current state laws that prove that God's laws are better than man's laws. If you're laughing, you were here last week. Hopefully these are as good. Found some new states. I'm gonna try and hit all the states, not all the states, because that's 50. And, uh, but we're gonna hit about 24, 25 over the five weeks. Here, here's the first one. In Idaho, cannibalism is prohibited. It's good. I'm glad we wrote that down. Like, you know, just, just a basic human decency. Don't eat your neighbor. You know what I mean? Like, that's like... Love your neighbor, don't eat your neighbor. Just, it shows you how bad we are just naturally as humans that we have to write a law in America that says just don't eat somebody. You know, that's just, <laughs> Illinois in a Galesburg City, law strictly prohibits, strictly prohibits fancy riding of any bicycle <laughs> on city streets, particularly, this is still a law today, particularly riding with both hands removed from the handlebars both feet removed from the pedals, or any acrobatic shenanigans. I don't know what you believe politically, but this is our tax dollars at work. Like, they got in a room, got in a room and wrote that. Kentucky, no dueling. All public officials and attorneys in Kentucky must swear an oath that they will not fought or have not fought in any duel with deadly weapons nor acted as a second member in another person's duel. It's 2021, that's weird. Maine, it is forbidden to post advertisements on another person's tombstone in the city of Wells. Was that a problem? Like it was like just, 
1-800-Flowers.com, like on your tombstone, or maybe you want a slice of pizza, like I'm walking, I don't know what, what, who, what were they advertising? Maryland, this will actually go with our time together today. Maryland, it's illegal to swear or curse upon a street or highway in Rockville, Maryland. Some of you wouldn't have anything to say. <laughs> See, the law, the law was given, God's law was given in the Old Testament, starting with the Ten Commandments, to show you and I where we fall short. We talked about it last week. It was the mirror in which we look at our lives in and we see that we could never measure up. As an unholy group of people, we could never fulfill or measure up to the standard of a, of a holy God. The law is the mirror to show us where we're dirty or where we need to change. But God never intended us to clean ourselves with a mirror. Only water can clean you physically and only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you spiritually. So scripture shows us for the whole Old Testament, 39 books of the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, empowered and written by the Holy Spirit, it shows us that you and I, apart from a relationship with Jesus, could never meet God's standard. And so the New Testament comes in not to get rid of the Ten Commandments or not to get rid of the law, but to fulfill the law. And I'll show you that at the end of our time together today to show us that Jesus came in and did what you and I could never do. But once we accept Jesus, again, he doesn't do away with the law. He helps us, catch this, he helps us live according to the standard of God. And so that's why we're studying the Ten Commandments through the context of Jesus, through the filter of Jesus, and learning how as believers we should live our life. The Ten Commandments, I wanna remind you, don't take our freedom, they provide it. And the first four, and we'll get to the last two of the first four today, are God-centric, and the last six are people-centric. And we talked last week, if you missed it, you kinda have to, this is kinda one of those series, you can't just kinda jump in in the middle. I mean, they're all good, but you kinda gotta, there, there's 10 commandments. Like, don't just pick and choose which weeks you come to. You know what I mean? Like, you kinda need all of them. And last week, we talked about the history and the context of how Moses got the 10 commandments and now the people of God received the 10 commandments, but they got these first four, and God was speaking to his chosen people, the people of Israel, and they were coming out of captivity. So just really quickly, you need to hear, God is a loving father, and he was talking to his kids. He was giving them a list, starting with the Ten Commandments, then going into the Levitical law. He was giving them not a list of do's and don'ts, but a list of, of how to behave. What I'm trying to say is the Ten Commandments and the law is for you, not against you. God is not telling you what you can't do. He's telling you what you should do if you wanna have a life that is blessed by him. Let's jump into Exodus 20, uh, chapter, chapter 20, verse seven. It says, you must, this is commandment number three, you must not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. And the New King James says, do not take the Lord's name in vain. But I love that term in the NLT, misused, because basically it's just saying, don't take the Lord's name out of context. Like, he is God, our creator. He is God alone. And misusing his name or taking his name in vain is much more than a cuss word or much more than just saying it in a derogatory sense. It is taking his name and his character out of context. And I want you to write this down today. Be very careful speaking against God. Be very careful speaking against God. We're gonna spend the next eight or 10 minutes talking about that. I wanna jump real quick 
into uh, something that I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me just yesterday. Be very careful speaking for God. Come on. You ever been in business or in a leadership setting where you use this, where you use somebody else's influence because you don't have any? You're like, hey, they, you know, it's not me, but they said. Like, be careful putting God's name on your ideas. Like, I'm about tired of people saying God told me to break up with you. No, he did not. You want to break up with them, and you're, God had nothing to do with, God had nothing to do with you getting in that relationship. And God don't want any business of you getting out of it. That you got yourself in it, you get yourself out of it. Just be careful. Be careful speaking for God. In, in a serious uh, way, when it comes to words of wisdom and words of knowledge and words of prophecy, be very careful putting God's name on something that you created. Like if he didn't, hey, I believe the Lord is saying this. I believe that I read this and this is for you. Just be very careful speaking in a thus saith the Lord when you're not the Lord. Just be careful putting his name on it because now you're attaching your statement to his character and I think that's a dangerous place. I'm not saying God doesn't speak through people. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit at Action Church. We believe that God uses people to speak his words but I'm just saying be very careful speaking for and against God. Let's get into the against God for a moment. Name in vain or misuse is a lack of honor because, catch this, it lies about his character but get this, it hurts your character. Like when we take God's name in vain, we misuse it out of context. We, we use it derogatory or cuss word or casually. It doesn't, it not only lies about his character, you can't change his character, but it lies about who he is and then it hurts yours and my character. Again, God is not insecure. This is for you because he knows there is power in his name. He knows it hurts you and it hurts his witness. God's name is important. We just saying about it. his name is important Amen. because it, it signifies and it symbolizes and it, and it tells us who he is. Yes. Names are important. Labels are important. What you call something and how you have reverence or honor for something is it's important. Amen. In fact, scripture has tons of nicknames for God. How many people in here are, are nicknamed people? You love, love a good nickname? Yeah. Go on, you, you nickname everybody. How many of you are like me? You just nickname people because you can't ever remember anybody's name. Anybody? Hey, bub. How you doing there, fella? Partner? What's up, bro? You know what I mean? You just, and I just, I want to be really honest and just really transparent. If I see anybody from Action Church out of the context of Action Church, you're like, hey, Pastor Justin, remember me? No. I don't. If we've never had any human interaction outside of here, the lobby or the rows, you're like, hey, remember me? We met three years ago at the second row. I'm like, I don't have any idea. Thank you. Great to, you know, just, just putting it out there. I'm asking for forgiveness in advance. You know, you do that. You, you have a nickname. Well, God has lots of nicknames. He has lots of different names, but they're not because he doesn't remember who he is or he thinks we're not gonna remember. He's, he's identifying who he is. And he's saying, this is who I am. And so what the enemy wants us to do is he wants us to forget who he is by casually, in a derogatory way, or an insignificant way, trying to change his character by changing the significance of his name. Here are some names of God that we find in the Old Testament. Elohim is just God. Like if you, just the, the Hebrew uh, 
word for God. El Shaddai means Lord God Almighty. Adonai means Lord and our, and our master. So there's, there's a name in which they called him Adonai, which means I'm not in control, he's in control. That's why the enemy wants to have the name of God attacked so casually because there's so much honor and reverence and respect de demanded from God. Yahweh is Lord Jehovah. Jehovah Nisi is Lord, my, my banner of, of victory. There's, there's power in the names of God. There's power in praying the names of God. If we begin to sing about the, the, the promises of God and the character of God, there's something that happens. There's power in the name of God. Jehovah Ra, the Lord, my shepherd, that you have somebody that, that cares for you and comforts you and leads you. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, like in our mind and in our body and in our, in our spirit. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. You ever thought about that? Like he's omnipresent. Wherever you are, there he is. And that's a good thing if you're in need, and that's a bad thing if you're in sin. He's there. Jehovah Shema, he's right there. He's like, Shema. That work? I'll use that again? All right, off the cuff. About that. El Olam is the everlasting God. He's never not been in existence. He will never not be existing. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. There's always gonna be a gap between what you can do and what needs to be done, and that is the gap of faith, and that is where God steps in, and we talk about the immovable and the unbreakable. He is our provider. If you could provide everything for yourself, you wouldn't need God. Jehovah Shalom is the Lord is peace, and talk about a a name of God or a characteristic of God that we need in, in a season in our country and in our world, the, the, the peace of God. The enemy knows that words have power and they influence our faith. That's why he wants us to take the, the character and the names of God so casually. Proverbs 18 says, the tongue, our words, the names which we speak can bring life or death. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. What we say about God and others has consequences. Let's think about it this week. Speaking negatively of God long enough may change the way you see God. You say something enough, you'll begin to believe it. And the enemy wants to make God casual out of our mouths, catch this, knowing eventually if he's casual out of our mouths, he will become casual in our lives. We take his name and his character for granted and how we think and how we speak. Eventually, we'll take his character for granted and how we live. We become accustomed to casual language about God and others because there's very little accountability. We pretend he's not there. In a social media day and age, we can say whatever we want, whenever we want. That's just my opinion, my truth. I'm just saying what I think. Go back to Proverbs. The tongue can bring death or life. It's just words. It's just a comment. It's just an opinion. It's just gossip and sinful and deadly, and it's killing your faith, and it's killing your relationships, and it's killing your view of God. I wrote this down this week. What, what if God was, how would you talk about God if he was here? I just pictured him looking down at some of us and say, would you say that to my face. You know what I mean? 
You ever seen somebody, you're talking trash, you're like, hey, hey, you keyboard warrior, come say that to my face. Like, just think about God looking at us and we're casually talking about his name and his character and what he did. Can you imagine if he showed up to some of these people? Some of us. And he's like, what? What'd you say? You're like, I'm just, Like, hopefully God can't, hopefully God has as tough a time hearing people behind a mask as, as we do. You know, I didn't say anything. <laughs> it's easier for us to, to pretend that it's okay because he's not here. The Bible says the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you say about God, catch this, what you say about God could be revealing how you actually view God. And what you say about God I want me to write this down and think about it. What you say about God says a lot about you. We cannot speak casually of God because he is our creator and he is our coming king. And we take it out of the ambiguous bigness of God and we put him right here as present. He is here. I think we'd speak differently. We need to be careful how we just speak in general. You ever thought about the enemy attacks the names of God and the, the character of God because he knows how much power is in the name? I just thought it was funny. We don't use other gods as cuss words. You don't stub your, stub your toe and say, Bail! You know what I mean? Like just Muhammad. because they're not real. So the enemy's not attacking them by casually changing the view of them because of their, he doesn't have to. They aren't even important enough for the enemy trying to discredit. How much does it show you how important the power of the name of God is when it's so casually taken? Well, we can say God and we can say Jesus and we can say Christ in such a insignificant or even derogatory term, when you actually think about what they did, how in the world could we use it out of context? And when if we use it out of our mouths, eventually it will change the way we live so the enemy attacks our minds and our thoughts because he knows eventually it will come out in our actions. We're gonna turn to another thing that represents our, our trust, not just the name of God, but, but our time with him. Let's keep reading Exodus chapter eight. Remember to observe the Sabbath. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord, your God. And on that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and your foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. This day of rest, or this principle of rest, to write this down, Sabbath, Sabbath equals trust. Sabbath, for us, equals trust. God made the earth in, in six days, and we're not talking about today, you know, theology or the origin of man, if that was six 24-hour periods, or if it was like, we're, just, we're not getting into that today, but what I will say is, he rested. Guess what God didn't need? Rest. Rest. 
You know what I mean? Like if you've never not existed and you will never cease to exist, you are God. You hold the whole universe in the palm of your hand. He wasn't like, oh, I could go for a nap. He was modeling something for you and for me that there was a principle of rest. And there's something that happens when you and I choose to rest in God's provision and his presence and his principles. We're acknowledging the power of God over our own power. When you and I cease to produce, when you and I cease to perform, when we cease to try and strive, we're saying that we trust in God more than we trust in ourselves. And God can do more with less than you can on your own. Like if we, we, can, we give him the first of our finances, we give him the first of our time, God can bless technically less than if we try and do it all on our own. You need an example? The Christian chicken. Chick-fil-A. Beating everybody. That's a word. That is a word, and we always talk about it on Sunday, and it's closed on Sunday. You know why? Because they get the principle that what God, you do, they are not dominating every market just because they have the most delicious chicken and the calories don't count because they're eternal. <laughs> but it shows that if you build a business, you build a family, you build a church, you build a life on the principle of we are gonna give God a day, a time, an hour. And I'm not even asking you to get super religious about it. I'm just saying you should have a principle of Sabbath or rest. See, the Sabbath by many religions or different denominations has been made religious. The Sabbath was never meant to be religious. It's purely relational. He's saying, spend time with me. The Sabbath is a principle as much as it is a practice. Like it's something that we, we value. It is something that is good for you. Remember Genesis chapter one? Genesis chapter one, God begins to create the heavens and the earth. You get to verse five, six, or seven, I can't remember right now, but right in the beginning, creates a, a evening and morning. He creates light and then dark. He creates the darkness and he says, let's call it light and it'll separate the darkness, right? And then you get to the end of that first creation and he says, catch this, there was evening and then there was morning the first day. See, we believe as as Humans, and specifically as Americans, the day starts when we get up. I'm up, time to work, time to strive, time to produce. But that's not how it's written, and that's not even how actually it's lived out practically. There was evening and morning. It sounds backward. There's morning, and then there's night, and then we go to sleep, and then we have morning. No, the principle is there was evening, and then there was morning the first day. When does the day start? <laughs> the panic on everybody's face was like, that a trick question? No, it starts at midnight. <laughs> when does a week start? Sunday. Okay, so a, a day starts at midnight. What are most normal people doing at midnight? Sleeping. Sleeping, resting. So your day starts from a place of rest. Your week starts on a Sunday, most of the time a day of rest. So all of our production all of our value that we add comes from a place 
of rest, not working to a place of rest. We think we wake up and work so we can sleep. God is saying, no, I need you to sleep and rest so that you can produce. It's a relational principle that you and I should rest and spend time with God, and then the overflow of that Sabbath or that rest or that ceasing to produce will actually produce more in our life, in our business, and in our families. I need to be very clear though, we do rest again. Like we rest, we work, and then we rest. So many people, Christians, say I'm burnt out, I need to quit. You don't need to quit, you just need to take a nap. You know what I mean? Like you're just, you're just get a nap and a snack and get back on the greeter door. You know what I mean? Like just, oh, I can't leave this small group anymore. No, take a nap and a snack and open up your home next Tuesday, you're gonna be fine. Get back in the game. The idea is basically we are working or producing as humans from a place from rest, not for rest. From rest, from relationship, equals a life that finds fulfillment in your work. Because I'm resting and I'm in relationship and now I find fulfillment. See, rest from working or rest from not producing is, is biblical and it's realizing Somebody needs to catch this. Sabbath, Sabbath is reminding us that we are so much more than what we do or provide. Yeah. That you are a human being, not a human doing. And that God needs you, but he needs you from a place of spending time with him from a place of Sabbath and rest and relationship, not from a place of religiousness and work and performance. It's just a different way to think about it. One person received that. Everybody else was like, no, I'm gonna go to work. I'm gonna stress. How's it working out for you? Just tired, overwhelmed, stressed. Why? Because we, we just think we have a bigger part to play. I'm here, God rested. Like, take it. If your world falls apart, if you take a day off, it wasn't a very healthy world to begin with. And I need to remind somebody, the world does not revolve around you. God is not, he's like, oh, they're sleeping again. I don't, Jesus, I don't know what we're gonna do. I can't believe it. They took a vacation. What are we gonna do? How are we gonna get this gospel to the ends of the earth? I mean, they, they, they slept nine hours. We're not that important. We're not holding it up, he is. So Sabbath is a returning to saying, I'm not doing as much as I thought. You're doing way more than I think. Getting back in relationship and in Sabbath and in rest in his presence so that we can then in turn, the crazy thing is out of a place of rest, we can actually do so much more for God. It's what God did to show us the system that he set up for us and it really shows us how to live in these rhythms of life. It's an Old Testament principle, but it's brought to life in the New Testament as well. One more thought here, we'll move on. God is for you, and Jesus already did what you and I could, could never do. I wanna have some fun. I wanna take an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage and connect them. Jesus quoted this uh, verse from Isaiah 61 in Luke 4. There's something about this Sabbath and this principle of rest that I just found fascinating. And it's this concept in Jewish culture of the year of Jubilee. 
And the year of Jubilee uh, is significant right now because we're actually living in it. In the Jewish calendar, uh, year 21, 2021 and 2022 is the Jewish year of Jubilee and it happens every 50 years. And so I just thought it'd be fun to kind of study it for a second and then bring it in context for what that means for all believers and Christians today. Uh, Isaiah 61 is talking about this year of Jubilee and I'll give you some context after we read it. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and proclaim the captives will be released and the prisoners will be free. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give them a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks and the Lord has planted, that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, but they've been deserted for many generations. Isaiah 61 is talking about this year of Jubilee. And this year of Jubilee, the background of this passage is this, it's described in Leviticus chapter 25, verse seven, in the Levitical law. And every seven years, every seven years, the Jewish people, were to observe a sabbatical year. So not only every seven days rest, but every seven years, it was a year of sabbatical to allow the land to rest. They would not plant, they would not harvest, they would allow the land to rest because it was a principle not only just for humans, but for the land that it needed to rest, it needed to regenerate and regroup so that it could be productive year after year. Then after seven sabbaticals, so seven times seven or 49 years, they were to celebrate the 50th year as the year of Jubilee. Here's what would happen in that year. During that year, all debts were canceled. You gotta catch this. All land was returned to the original owners. The slaves were freed and everybody was given a fresh new beginning. This was the Lord's way of balancing the economy and keeping the rich from exploiting the poor. He was showing his people what you provide and what you do and what you work for is not near as important as who I am. Every 50 years, he was resetting it, saying no matter what you've done, what your family's done, what you've done, as big as it is, I'm taking it back. As bad as it is, I'm restoring it. You've been in bondage to something and now you're being set free. It was an Old Testament picture of salvation because here's what it says in Luke chapter four. Let's flip over to the New Testament. Luke chapter four, this is Jesus talking, preaching, coming out of the temptation of Jesus. He's been rejected in Nazareth. And he says this, quoting Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. See, Isaiah was prophesying. Jesus isn't prophesying. He is fulfilling the prophecy. He is fulfilling the law. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released. He has sent me to know that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor 
has come. See, we're talking about this old school, Old Testament law and the year of Jubilee was just an Old Testament picture of Jesus Christ. The year of Jubilee for us as believers, as Gentiles, as Christ followers is not a once in every 50 year thing, it's an everyday thing. What Jesus said is I came to usher in a spiritual year of Jubilee that if you will value God and honor God and trust in God and give your life to God through the Son Jesus Christ that all the debts will be canceled that all the places that you were held in bondage, you will be set free. That everything that the enemy has lost will be returned to you, taken from you. Go to Isaiah 61. Don't read it in context of the, uh, the Old Testament. Read it in context of your life. Like this is your spiritual year of Jubilee. If you acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you recommit your life and say, I will value your name, I will honor your name, I will operate from a place of relationship and rest, here's the promise, not for the people of Israel, but we see it through Luke chapter four, this for everybody that believes in Jesus. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That's you and me. This is the good news to comfort the brokenhearted, that if you give your life to Jesus, comfort in a place of brokenness. Proclaim the captives will be released and the prisons will be free. What is holding you in captivity? You don't have to wait for 49 years to be released. You are one decision away because this is not a principle anymore. Now this is a person of Jesus Christ. He has sent me to tell all those who mourn the time of the Lord's favor has come, that your season has an end to it. Psalm 27, that the good things of God are not just an eternity, that God is making some good things happen out of the worst situations in your life. To all who mourn Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes. The things that have burnt down, he will replace with his promises and his crown. Festive praise instead of despair. This is not for somebody else, this is for you today. In their righteousness, they will be great like oaks. You will stand firm. You will be somebody that people can look to. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing the cities destroyed long ago. God doesn't want to do something through somebody else. He wants to use your brokenness and your ruins and your mistakes and what's happened to you. And he wants to build not with somebody else, but on you. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. It may have been a long time. It may have been a lifetime. But I'm just here to tell you today that if you will begin to honor and submit and place the right amount of value and importance on the character and the name of God. If you will begin to operate from a place of relationship and rest, Isaiah 61 doesn't have to be for somebody else, it can be for you. Pastor, how do I do that? It's, it is through relationship with Jesus. It's not trying to speak better about God. It's not making sure you take a day off. Those are steps after a relationship with Jesus. They're good things to do regardless, but they won't get you Isaiah 61 or Luke 4 unless you're in relationship with Jesus. So I wanna give that opportunity today as we close out week two of 10 commands. I wanna give you an opportunity to actually honor God the way that you should and operate in this life the way that you should by starting a relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads at all of our locations, every head bowed, every eye closed. God, we love you. We thank you for your word today, Exodus 20 and Isaiah 61, Luke 4. Church, nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. I wanna give you the opportunity today to accept Jesus. Jesus being the Son of God. We talked around it a lot today, let me be very clear. The perfect Son of God. His life matters because you and I 
could not be in a relationship with God. Imperfect, unholy. So he had to come and live perfect. Why? Because there was a substitute demand. There's a sacrifice demand. He was a, the perfect, spotless lamb, Bible calls it. Only through the atonement of blood covering our sins could we be made right with God. So he died on the cross, not just for you, but as you, in your place. The cross gives you access to forgiveness, grace, salvation, and mercy. The resurrection of Jesus gives you power so that you can live differently. Said this way, it gives you power over sin and the grave. Death has lost its sting because Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. Your job, my job, the sinners, is to acknowledge that we need a Savior. What do we do? Romans chapter 10. Confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that He is the Lord. And believe that the same power raised Jesus from the dead can live in you and can live in me. The term Lord is important because it is giving Him control. That's why we talked about His name today. It's so important. It's submission. It's the honoring. It's the reverence of saying, I'm not in control. You are. Both of these principles today, both honor and rest come from trust. And that, that trust is saying, God, I give you complete control of my life. I surrender my will to your will. Do you wanna do that today? At all of our locations here at Winter Park, at Sanford, South Orlando, Avito, worshiping right where you are in your home. Pastor Justin, I'm in. I wanna honor God. I wanna trust God. I'm gonna do that by starting a relationship with Jesus or by recommitting my life to Him. Would you just raise your hand right where you are and say, I wanna, I wanna start or recommit my life today. I'm honoring Him in a different way. I'm trusting Him in a different way. I'm giving Jesus access to everything. I got one, two, three, four right here. Proud of you. Come on. Three more in the stadium here. Sanford, God is moving your auditorium in South Orlando and Oviedo. I want somebody watching with their family or just alone in their home right now. See you. God sees you. Proud of you. You put your hands down. Pray this in your hearts. I pray it out loud. Say this. Say, God, I love you. And God, I thank you for saving me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm saved only by your grace. And I am confessing with my mouth and I'm believing in my heart that you are the Lord. I'm giving you that place today. Got complete control. Have your way in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. God, I pray for all of us this week. Holy Spirit, let that, let that word, let that principle be trust. We're gonna trust in the power of God, the authority of God. We're gonna trust in the presence of God and the personal nature of God. And out of the overflow of our time with you, we're gonna live our life from rest and not for rest in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, convict us, show us, allow us to make the, the necessary spiritual and practical changes to, to align ourselves with the word that you gave us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody at Action Church said amen and amen. Church, can we celebrate the decisions? Can we really celebrate it? We're so proud of you.